0: All right everybody. My name is Oliver. Welcome back to Oliver's show and today we're going to be talking about lotteries. Specifically, we're going to be talking about lotteries in the Netherlands, the postcode lottery, prize-linked savings accounts, which is a savings account lottery basically, and other types of lotteries around the world and how they affect people. So let's get right into it. So First off, we're going to be talking about the Netherlands Prize uh, Postal Code Lottery. So in the Netherlands, um, every month or week from the Nova Media website, we have the way that the Dutch postcode Lottery works is a classic example of a win-win situation. After all, it's not only our charities that are richly rewarded. Each year, more than 10 million players are treated to a host of prizes ranging from full VIP treatment at a resort to becoming a millionaire overnight. The weekly post code Postcode Street Prize, in which a whole street stands to win a spectacular cash award, is popular and well-known throughout the Netherlands. The highlight of these neighborhood awards is the Postcode Kanjer, given out on the 1st of January every year. This prize is the biggest in Dutch lottery history. I'm assuming that every year that bigger prize gets even bigger, and if you happen to have purchased a ticket, then you win. Now, how do you enter this lottery? Well, it's not just your postcode that wins. Obviously, you have to buy a ticket, and each ticket, I think, is 14 euros per month, and you you buy your monthly ticket, and you wait and hope that you win. But if you don't win, or if your street wins and you didn't buy a ticket, then you do not get the prize. And this is where some interesting research has kind of found its way into these uh, postcode lotteries. So there are a few research articles here. Um, One of them is from the University of Amsterdam, and they say that there have been claims that the existence of interdependencies between neighbors' consumption decisions have had a long tradition in the social sciences. The potential importance of interdependent behavior for understanding human decision making and for policy making has motivated many theoretical contributions in economics. Estimation of the size of interdependencies in consumer behavior in a way that credibly allows for a causal interpretation, however, has turned out to be a formidable challenge. So the study, which was the Dutch Postcode Study is the ideal setup for testing this kind of uh, social economic theory. So there's a second research paper here which this one was done in May of 2010 and it says that uh, each week the Dutch postcode lottery randomly selects a postal code distributes cash and a new BMW to lottery participants in that code. We study the effects of these shocks on lottery winners and their neighbors consistent with the life cycle hypothesis The effects on winners' consumptions are largely confined to cars and other durables. Consistent with the theory of in-kind transfers, the vast majority of BMW winners liquidate their BMWs. We do, however, detect substantial social effects of lottery winnings. For the postcode lottery, non-participants who live next door to winners will see a significantly higher level of car consumption than non-participants. Really quickly here, I just wanted to um, mention some statistics from this research article that I was just reading through. Um, So, witnessing one's postcode mates win the postcode lottery does not make non-winning households any less happy six months after the fact. However, table three also shows that non-participants in winning codes are significantly more likely 24 versus 17% to buy a car in the six months after the lottery date, to own more cars, and to own more total car efficiency units, which makes me think that they own more expensive cars. So if you live directly next door to your neighbor who has won a brand new car or won a lottery, and you're aware of it, within the next couple years, you are more likely to want to treat yourself to a new car or to spend your money on something new. So now let's get into my opinion on this type of lottery system. I don't really like the idea that if your postal code wins and you happen to not purchase a ticket, you don't win, and what that could potentially do to like your mental well-being or like self-worth or whatever. Um, and it's a national event that's broadcasted every single week. So it's hard to avoid the fact that you didn't win because you decided not to purchase something. Um, in some ways it's a good thing because the lottery is for charity and obviously that's for a good cause. So that's one benefit, um, to, I guess, convince yourself if you want to buy a lottery ticket every single month. Um, but I was trying to think about this and thinking like, okay, what is, the way that the only way to kind of stop yourself from feeling fear of missing out from how do you stop that fear of missing out from getting to you if your neighbor happens to win and what I kind of came up with is you kind of have to before going into it just convince yourself to never buy a ticket and even if your street wins you committed to never buying a ticket for the lottery. So your shot of winning was always zero, regardless of whether or not your postal code was chosen. So basically, completely disconnecting yourself from this national lottery would probably be the only feasible way of avoiding this kind of fear of missing out. And you would basically, essentially, just have to find peace within your brain and just trick your brain into thinking that you never really had a chance anyway. And commit to that fact, try and avoid that the winners won and continue on with your life as if this lottery didn't exist. I'm kind of a cheap person, so this research articles they did kind of bother me a little bit because I don't like spending money. And I guess it's very it's interesting to see that um, like this like socio-cultural effect that your neighbors winning a lottery can have on you. Or like specifically towards like a car, if they have a new b m w in their driveway, then it makes you also want to have a new car in your driveway in some cases at least, so I found that very interesting um that we kind of were very very dependent on our environments, which goes to show you if you have crappy neighbors, then it's very likely that you will also be either a crappy neighbor or um their kind of moods will rub off on you. And I think this goes as well for like the types of people that you hang around. If you hang around people that are always kind of in a bad mood, complaining about other people or uh, like talking bad on other people and stuff like that, then it's very possible that you will start to maybe not show those symptoms, but you'll start to like think more negatively and feel these kind of like negative thoughts and feelings that they're feeling. So it's important to kind of surround yourself with positive people and people who are trying to accomplish big things and achieve big goals. And it's likely that because that is what your surroundings are, you will benefit off of those surroundings and you will be able to achieve more because your surroundings may have changed. So I found that really interesting. I just didn't really like the fact that if you didn't um, if you didn't decide to buy a lottery ticket that week, or you don't really believe in lotteries because your odds of winning are basically one in a million. And sometimes it's more like one in 30 million or something like that, which probability wise is essentially zero. Um, yeah. So I, I just figured I found those things to be slightly, just slightly annoying. And I just, I didn't like, I didn't like that fact. Um, but it is an interesting concept and, I've heard that, like, there are some other countries that are considering doing this type of thing because it's for charity, which is great, and yeah. Okay, so now we're going to be going into part two of the podcast, where I'm going to be talking about prize-linked savings accounts. So this is a kind of newer concept here in North America. Um, I heard about it from a YouTuber that I watch, and... He invested in a prize-linked savings account bank, and it's a very interesting concept, I think. So what is a prize-linked savings account? Well, essentially, you put money into a bank account, a savings account, and every single month when your interest gets calculated, you don't actually get a specific rate of interest, but you get a certain portion of a prize. So your account, depending, I think it's on depending on how much money is in your savings account, you have like more of a chance to win. So each month you have a chance to win a certain dollar amount of a prize and you get a lottery number, you have a chance to win a prize from the bank and that prize will then be distributed amongst all of the same bank account holders who have that lottery number, and in some cases, the prize can be as much as a million or $10 million a month for the highest prize, and it's distributed amongst all of the people who have the winning numbers into their savings accounts. So the main idea behind prize-linked savings accounts is to increase the rate of savings in places where savings rates are not very high, and this is because a lot of people don't save their money, and instead spend it on the lottery because they hope to win the lottery. So some of these banks, there's a bunch in America, and they've decided that what they're going to do is use people's absolute love for lotteries and essentially force them to save. And if they are saving, they have a much higher chance of winning this lottery. So it's a very interesting concept. Um, I'll read here a little bit more about Pricelink savings accounts. So the UK actually has offered a premium bond essentially as a Pricelink savings account for more than 60 years. So what this premium bond is, I remember hearing or reading about it a while ago, and this premium bond is essentially a bond that you purchase for face value So, like, let's say it's uh, £1,000 because of the UK. So you purchase a £1,000 bond, and at maturity, the bond is going to be worth $1,000 as well. So regardless, you're always going to get your money back. It might be indexed to inflation, but um, you always get your money back no matter what. But you also have the chance to win a lot more money. So this is essentially the United Kingdom's government way of making people purchase their bonds because these people, in almost a lottery fashion, have a chance to get a huge return on investment on their bonds. So it's very interesting, very, very, very interesting concept. So in America, in 2009, a group of eight credit unions launched the Save to Win Pricelink Savings Account Program in Michigan. And by the end of the first year, there was 11,666 new accounts and generated $856 million in savings or $734 per depositor. And considering that some people do not save any of their money, this was most definitely progress. So laws prohibit financial institutions from holding lotteries. The legality was fuzzy until Congress passed the American Savings Promotion Act in 2014 which authorized banks and credit unions to hold savings promotions raffles as of July 2020 33 states have passed legislation allowing for prize-linked savings accounts so this is a very interesting topic because i was looking into this for Canada and i don't think that the way that Canadian lottery law works that you're allowed to start up a bank with the prize link savings account um, because there's there always has to be some type of skill testing in Canadian lotteries and there, there's a certain value that I think you have to be, like, registered as a lottery, I guess, company with the Ontario government. There's a lot of, or like, Ontario Canadian government, there's a lot of very interesting legislation here that doesn't allow you to do this type of thing. Right, so yeah, essentially the way that Canadian lottery law works makes this type of savings account impossible at the moment, and um, yeah, so welcome to Canada. I think that this would be really great for people with like gambling issues or just people who want to participate in the lottery because they think that they'll be the one in the mil- one in a million. And I think that having these types of savings accounts could be very beneficial to society because it eliminates the risk of the lottery, which is spending your money and getting nothing back. And it also encourages saving. So you really don't have to do anything. You just put your money in the savings account and the regular interest rate that would be paid to you is instead paid to you in the format of a lottery. So you still get like the rush of your lottery number and potentially being the winner for that month. But you also are saving money at the same time. So I think that this is really good as a whole for society and that the Canadian government should look into allowing this type of thing um, because I think that there is a lot of benefits to doing something like this and yeah, you don't have to call it a lottery. You can call it like a raffle or something. Alrighty. So now we're going to be talking about lotteries in general. So we just talked about some really cool postal code lotteries, prize-length saving lotteries. And now what about just normal lotteries and how do these affect your average everyday Joe? So I found quite the wonderful research article here. Uh, it's from March of 2011. I think the actual, uh, publishing date was 2010. Um, and it's from Siam University by by Venchai Aria Pong's. Um, and it's called Lottery Gambling, a review. So essentially it, this paper just goes into a lot of things relating to lotteries and how they affect people that purchase them, what types of people purchase them, etc. So lotteries have been a part of human history since its beginning. Different forms of lotteries have been recorded in the Old Testament. Roman emperors offered them for entertainment, French kings used them to balance state deficits, and modern states rely on lotteries to finance an important part of their public works. Lotteries are now a big business involving at least 100 countries and 200 jurisdictions, and worldwide sales of lotteries are estimated to amount to almost $224.3 billion in 2017, or 2007, sorry, and as you can imagine, this number has probably significantly gone up in the past 13 years, and it's, I would venture to guess, closer to a trillion dollars. So, why do people buy lottery tickets? Well, so people buy lottery tickets because they want to win money, but they're not very rational when they participate in lottery gambling. Recent studies showed that an improvement in knowledge and skill in gambling odds was not associated with any decreases in actual gambling behavior. Williams and Connolly, 2006. Gamblers seemed to switch off their rational belief during gambling and switch it on again after gambling, which I find quite interesting because this explains a lot of things. When you go to talk to someone who is a gambling addict, It's hard to tell. Like, they're just your regular, average, everyday person. They might not seem like out of the ordinary, but they just have, they get sucked into this vortex of gambling. And sometimes their life might not be ruined if they are somewhat rational outside of gambling and limit themselves while they're there. But this goes to show you that while people are actually gambling, it's very possible to like go into the casino and just lose thousands of dollars if you have thousands of dollars available to be lost. Another reason that people participate in lotteries is desire to win, impulse, curiosity, feeling lucky, and enjoyment were the four main motivations. The hope of winning the prize was the strongest predictor of lottery participation. So I think that this goes to show that pretty much anyone can be sucked into a lottery because... A lot, if not everyone, would hope to win the prize of a lottery. It's a very strong kind of pull and motivator, is the idea that you could be the one in a million or 14 million who wins the lottery. So just that small hope that it might be you is enough to push some people into buying lottery tickets. Another few reasons are that playing the lottery is a pastime among friends, And this is interesting. Friends lottery play significantly predicted the participants lottery purchases, which essentially is saying that if your friends purchase lotteries, you are more likely to purchase lotteries. If you're part of a group at work that purchases lotteries, you are more likely to then go out and purchase some lottery tickets on your own as well. Another very interesting thing here. um, Buying lottery tickets is also related to reduced negative mood. The more the lottery expenditures were, the bigger the reduction in negative mood was. I'm going to venture to guess here that this this is just temporary, this uh, reduction in negative mood. Maybe it isn't. Maybe some people just completely forget about the money that they spent on it. But because someone like me keeps track of every single dollar that is being spent it would hurt me that to buy a lottery ticket and not win and then realize that that $10 could have been spent on something different. But people who are buying lottery tickets for the joy or the entertainment or the hope of winning might have already accepted the fact beforehand that it's a sunk cost and that they're not getting their money back regardless if they win or not and winning is just a bonus. Which doesn't really make sense to me because wouldn't you rather do something else with your money than just blow it on literally nothing, on like a 0% probability of winning, Um, but apparently that's not how gambling works, and rationality does not usually come into play when you're gambling. And here's another very interesting thing, is that lotteries are so common that they are not viewed as gambling. It's become so normalized that it doesn't, it's not perceived as a form of gambling. But if you think about scratch off tickets, they're essentially a casino um, slot machine on a piece of paper because you have to match up the little columns, and when they match, you win. Um, And when you have these like random numbers, it's literally a random number generator, and your numbers could match or they could not match, but your odds of winning are just so slim that. It doesn't make sense to me, but um, it's become so normalized that it's not viewed as gambling anymore. And it says here that some people purchase lottery tickets for their children, which to be fair, I think I did ask my mom or dad to buy me a lottery ticket when I was like 16 or something. Here's another very interesting thing that this research paper goes into, and it's called The Theory of Judgment Under Uncertainty. It explains lottery participation in terms of the gambler's perception and pattern of numbers, probabilities of winning, etc. So there are some heuristics here that they use, and one is the representative heuristic, which refers to the probability of an event on the extent of its similarity to a parent population. And, And basically what's this what this is saying is that people preferred lottery numbers without repeating digits. Um, and these numbers were actually more frequently chosen in some lotteries, so people's kind of judgment of the fact that a same number is not likely to repeat itself was correct, so if they have the option to choose a certain lottery ticket, they're going to choose the one with the random numbers. Then there's an availability heuristic, which explains that it's easier for people to imagine what they would do if they won the lottery than it is for them to imagine the extremely tiny probability that they will actually win the lottery. Then there's another thing here, which is framing the decision um, in a positive light. So this is kind of an unrelated study, but it is interesting, and it says that 72% of the participants chose a program where 200 out of 600 people would be saved, whereas 22% of people chose a program where 400 out of 600 people would die from a disease. So these numbers are identical to each other. It is just the way that they are being framed. And people would rather see something in a more positive light, someone being saved, than seeing things in a more negative light where people are being killed, even though the numbers are identical and your odds of survival or death literally have not changed. So lottery advertisements provide prospects of huge jackpots, attractive consumer goods, and easy wins, and displayed top prize winners, lottery life-changing nature, with little reference to the actual odds of winning. Lottery advertising is influential in lottery purchase behavior, particularly among individuals with lower incomes and schooling, which is kind of what the next part of this research paper gets into what types of people are more likely to purchase the lottery. So gender-wise, in the latest US survey, men gambled in the lottery slightly more than women did, 64 to 68 percent, and the amount gambled was higher for men, $362, than for women, $295. Women in Australia had a higher preference for bingo, lotto, and lotteries, And in Thailand, women gambled in lottery more than men by a small margin. Age. Lottery participation by four age groups 18 to 30, 31 to 40, 41 to 50, and 51 to 60 did not differ much from each other 68, 70, 69, 66%, respectively. Participation in the 61 plus age group was the lowest at 55% but their mean amount of individual lottery involvement was the highest at $424. So this means that people in the older age group are either likely to go more all into the lottery or not play at all. So gambling in general increases with education, according to Brown and Kaldenberg. Meanwhile, lottery gambling follows the opposite trend. So the more educated you get, the less likely that you are to gamble. So this means if I go and get a PhD, I'm more likely to uh, end up in a casino and try to beat the dealer at blackjack, probably because I would do that right now, because that sounds like a good time. Don't gamble, kids. It's bad. Gotta teach the young ones the good lessons these days, you know? So really quick here, just to close off the lottery discussion. Life after winning lotteries. What happens to people who have won large amounts of money from lotteries is an interesting topic of research. According to myth, lottery winners are predominantly working class and poor, and once they become millionaires, they quit their jobs, become spendthrifts, and lose all their money. This myth was based on anecdotal descriptions of some winners from the working class who, after having won millions of dollars, embark on ill-advised investments and end up in debts. Early research does not point to the positive effect of lottery winning. Lottery winners are not different from the control group in the ratings of their happiness. And there are winners who are hospitalized for depression after winning lotteries of over one million Deutsche Marks. So the four-year follow-up of the patients with the one million Deutsche Marks shows a good outcome in both patients. So I don't know why they threw that into the research article. That's not a very—I um, don't think that's a very necessary sentence, to be completely honest. It's just kind of an interesting um, case study of somebody getting hospitalized for depression and likely due to winning the lottery anyway so about these lotteries well what do I think about them I think that lotteries have been normalized as a form of gambling and I don't really think that like probability wise they make absolutely no sense like why would you ever want to spend your money on buying a lottery when you could be spending your money on something that will actually bring you happiness Or you can spend your money go and watch a movie instead of the lottery. Um, Yeah, so the lottery just doesn't really make much sense to purchase because, yeah, I mean, in some cases, I, I can see there's so many different ways, like even I'm starting to do it, that you can rationalize why it makes sense to buy a lottery ticket. Well, I have an extra $20 anyway, like I may as well buy a lottery ticket. no. You should invest that extra $20. If you're buying lottery tickets every week, about like 20 bucks of lottery tickets, that's $80 a month. Let's do some compound interest calculation here on $80. All right, so we got $80 a month times 12 months, $960 per year. You could save $960 per year. Let's say you start with nothing in your bank account it grows for 45 years your interest rate is 8% because that's what the S&P gives you and it's compounded one time annually at the end of the year you calculate it and in 45 years if you didn't buy any lottery tickets and you instead invest the $20 a week that you put into lottery tickets you have a much 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 i'd say like 95 to 100% chance probability that your future investment will be worth which is $960 compounded at 8% interest over 45 years. Whew, that was a lot. So essentially, I'm vouching for not purchasing lottery tickets and investing your money into the S&P 500 instead, because that is a proven method of becoming a millionaire over a long period of time. Sure, you don't get the instant gratification. Sure, you don't get like whatever the chance of winning like millions and millions of dollars but you have something stable something consistent and you increase your probability of retiring when you want to actually retire instead of having to work because you spent $20 a week on lottery tickets yeah so that's my rant that's my thoughts on the lottery um The more educated people are the more they do regular gambling which i also find very very weird was not expecting that as a as a result of one of these research papers um and we never really got too much into like the demographics sure the older demographics played a little bit less um but we didn't really get into what types of levels of education are more likely but I think as a general rule of thumb, when it comes to these types of things, any kind of gambling, I think is more so taken over by lower income people and, um, people who do not have like this, like a higher, higher education, maybe just a high school education, at least in lotteries, uh, those types of people are more likely to purchase lottery tickets. Which is which? Which is in line with what you would expect based on less education, and you know the. I think I guess just like the people around you. I think it's kind of a like social um, thing to buy lottery tickets. Like if everyone around you is doing it, you want to do it too. I think that in some ways, um, like selling lotteries to people is on some level irresponsible because that money could be saved and could be better used and it could be like used for retirement and sure it's the person's responsibility if they're an adult it's their responsibility to be educated and to educate themselves on whether or not these are good purchases to be making but at the same time some people especially in the United States do not have the ability to go to university or college because it's so freaking expensive. And if they do go, they end up in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, putting them even further behind than they were when they started. And I just don't think that's really fair. Um, and I don't think that like using that lotteries existing in a way is fair either. Um, I just don't like, I don't like the whole lottery system. I think that it's taking away like money from people who may not have the like level of knowledge that is required to play smart in these lotteries as they often advertise you to do and yeah it's essentially just glorified gambling so maybe that's why people think that it's okay because it is glorified gambling but I personally do not think that yeah the lotteries should really exist <laughs> anyway so I've been going on rambling for a long time now um I hope you guys all really enjoyed this episode uh it was a whole bunch of lottery talk hopefully there was something that you took out of this and you learned a thing or two um if you enjoyed this episode of Oliver's show please subscribe to the YouTube channel it's free you can always unsubscribe if you don't like it and subscribe to the me on Apple Podcasts I uh, just hit my mic subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts. Again, it's free. You can always unsubscribe. And be sure to leave a like or a review, and I will catch you guys in the next episode. Let me know what you want to see next time. I'm running out of ideas here, and I'm only on episode four, so please, anyone who has ideas out there, drop it in the reviews, drop it in the comment section on the YouTube video, and I will do some research for you and get back to you. Anyway, thanks a lot for watching, guys. I will see you next time. Bye.